Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Monday the 10th of October is World Mental Health Day and we wanted to mark that occasion by speaking to two guests who have suffered and continue to suffer from various mental health issues and explore the role of the bicycle and cycling in their lives. There are some heavy themes discussed within this podcast, including suicide, so listener discretion is advised. Now, if you or anyone you know are suffering from depression, low mood, dark thoughts, or feel generally unwell mentally, we strongly encourage you to seek help. You can start by talking to somebody that you trust or by contacting your GP or doctor. Now, there are a myriad of charities as well that can help too, like the Samaritans. It's probably best to head to samaritans.org or Google your local number. Now, coming up on the podcast, I speak to Pete Kenyak, who left the pro peloton for mental health reasons and finds himself in a much better place now that he can fully be himself. A really interesting chat. But first, I spoke to Lee Stevenson, a former armed response officer with East Yorkshire Police, who used his bike to help him cope with his complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, Lee Stevenson, um, thanks very much indeed, mate, for for joining me on this very special, um, I think quite hopefully quite important podcast. Um, and thanks in the first place for for reaching out to us, getting in contact, and wanting to tell us your story. So, um, people who are listening to this pod will know what this podcast in general is about. But Lee, can you first off the bat, if people haven't um, don't know your story, can you just tell us, just give us a bit of an introduction to who you are and and, and what you do. Yep. Um, so yeah, as you said, Lee Stevenson. Um, I was a police officer for I think it just shy of twenty two, twenty three years. Um, spent most of that on the armed response. Um, and yeah, basically, long story short, I ended up with a diagnosis of uh, complex PTSD, which uh, saw me leave the job last October as a result of of those symptoms and everything associated with it um well, so yeah yeah I, i've i've done it's it's a, a really well, it's, a, it's a very difficult story i'd imagine it's gonna be a difficult story to tell but um i think that the, one of the reasons i think it's fair to say lee isn't it that uh, actually let me ask you that why did you get in contact obviously one thing actually two things that we both share um first off is a, is a love for bike riding and, and everything that it brings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, we're, we're both former police officers. You, you left yeah. for the reasons you just described, and I, I left because I had other opportunities in life. So it's one thing we do share is yeah. um, the, the, the police force in the past. But, but Wiley, did you get in contact with us on the pod here? Um, just basically, obviously, I knew that, um, you know, the World Mental Health Day was coming round. Um, I knew that... It, it's something that goes on throughout the year, not just that one day, but it's obviously highlighted on that, on that, that day. And I've done things in the past and I thought that it might be good to chat to somebody like yourself, um, basically because of the, the reach you've got through your podcast. Um, and maybe there's, if there's one person who, who's listening when this goes out and it helps them, then we've achieved something. Um, basically well, that's, a, that's a really simple eloquent important way of putting it I think mate I think that whatever anybody does in life especially if they want to affect any change if all they get from that is one person's life going on in a different direction for the better it is worthwhile isn't it hopefully hopefully yeah. it'll be more than that but but ultimately if you can do one thing in life um, and change the course of somebody's life yeah. I think that's uh, it, it is important so so Lee in particular I know you um, you're a serving officer 
in the East York's police force, uh, East, East Forks Constabulary, as, as we call them, and you were in the in the firearms unit. So, what actually led to this this diagnosis? Without needing to go into I mean, yeah. to go into as much detail as you want, obviously, um, there's things we can and can't talk about when if things are from yeah. a policing background. But just if you can explain what led to you feeling the way you did. Um, it, it basically became apparent um, back in 2015 uh, as a result of an incident I attended um, as a firearms officer. And um, from that point onwards, um, I noticed a change in myself um, quite quickly after that incident. Um, you know, bad dreams, um, change of my demeanour, uh, angry. Um, my mood was low. And, and, and basically, that's how I felt. Um, and I chose to ignore that, um, partly because of the um, department I was in. It was very... Um, sort of testosterone fueled um and and for me i felt that it was a weakness if i showed that something was the matter um not not by anybody else saying anything that was just how i felt and yeah yeah so so i hid it and as time went on um basically a close colleague who i worked with um within that department you're always crewed up in pairs um, due to the nature of the role, and I, and I was always crude with him, um, and he noticed something was matter with the way I was, and he highlighted it to me, um, and from there, I had some counselling, which was funded by the Police Firearms Association, uh, which looks after um, firearms uh, officers. Um, it's a charity, um, basically, and they funded some private um, therapy. Um, and I, I won't lie to you, mate. Basically, I attended that and I pretended, I said the things that I felt I needed to say, Matt, basically, okay. to yeah. get through it. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I did. Uh, went back on the unit as per, carried on as normal. And then over the years, that started to get worse and worse and worse, leading to probably two years ago, where it was at its worst, um, whereby. You know, I was depressed. Um, I was having thoughts of uh, wanting to end my life, basically. Um, yeah, things had got low. I had no interest in keeping fit. I'd always kept fit. I'd always cycled, and I had no interest. Everything that was my life and normal had I'd been flipped upside down, basically. And so... When you first went, just if we can just go back a little bit. Actually, yeah. if, you, if you don't mind, Lee, just go back up to the beginning again. What was the incident that, that you went to, without going to see a, a super amount of detail? Yeah. What, what incident was it that actually changed? I, yeah, it, it, it was, um, for me, What and, and as you, you know, you've experienced this, what is a, a normal standard day-to-day incident, other people in, you know, Civvy Street might look in that, and, and obviously think that's that's not. But for us, it yeah. does become the norm. Yeah. Um, and it was a request for a firearms car to attend. Uh, an elderly female, I think she was in her 70s, had basically taken a shotgun and shot herself uh, in the head. Right. And uh, I attended that, and there was a requirement to forensically um, 
take care of the firearms and um, basically get it photographed in situ. So it, it was pretty hands-on, close-up type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but again, nothing that I haven't seen or would describe as any worse than what I've seen in it throughout my career. Okay. Um, but for whatever reason, um, which has now been explained to me as, as to why, but then um, I couldn't understand it because from that point, um, things changed. Like I said, the, the, the nightmares of that incident, i.e. Yeah. that female was now standing at the end of my bed in the state she was after she'd done what she'd done. Yeah, okay. and, 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 and when I say nightmares, they were so graphic, Matt. You know, it was almost like you could smell, you could, you know, hear everything. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it was different. And 100%, I'd never experienced that. Um, yeah, things, it was like something had been switched on and yeah. we were now in a different state of mind basically and that that's where it went so it's and, and we'll get back to the recognition side of it and then ultimately on to how the how the cycling helped but I, I think it is worth dwelling on the pit especially for men i mean it's mental it's world mental health day but obviously for everybody but um i think it it is fair to say and it's pretty well documented that that men have a bit of a bigger problem coming forwards uh, and admitting to it because it's seen as a weakness because, you know, we're supposed to be robust, tough, we can deal with anything. And and when you look at all the the jobs out there, aside from, I, I guess, the army, like the police, the, f- the fire brigade, um, especially firearms in the police is probably, and you, I think you didn't choose the words, but they're probably one of the most alpha jobs out there. So if you are suffering or end up suffering from any sort of mental health uh, issue, it is. It might not even be directly from from the work colleagues. Like you can't talk about that, mate. It's just it does come within because of the the atmosphere and the environment that you're in. And and even though not one person is responsible for that, it is. It's almost like a culture, isn't it, of just well, these suppressed emotions. It's. Yeah. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, but I, no. I've been in a similar situation myself, so I totally get it. So it's it is very hard to uh, to, to admit, isn't it? Oh, hundred percent, Matt. And I think it is a. Uh, an area where banter um, between colleagues gets you through the day. Uh, yeah. Whether people say rightly or wrong, that that gets you through what at times can be the, the worst days of your life at work. Totally, yeah. Um, but with that, yeah, the, there is that um, sort of, within, within that group of guys, women, y- you do sort of look at yourself and think, well, there's no way I can go into that office and say that I'm suffering mentally. Um, for me, it was, well, how would the job react? Would they take my firearms permit off me? Would yep. they support me? Would I ever go back on a department that I'd worked very hard to get on and stay on because of the nature of the training? And so, yeah, there was a lot of pressure, pressure put on by myself, but also not directly from individuals, but just the nature of that job. You don't, for me, I didn't feel that I could say, look, I need, I need help. Yeah. And, and I know, again, I have, um, I know you've spoken to, you know, it's, it's great that you, you've actually spoken to uh, other organizations, you've spoken to other publications and, and the message yeah. is getting out there. But um, so I do know that it was, you knew that something was wrong inside. The fact that one of your work colleagues, a close work colleague, colleague identified it, but I know it had 
your behavior started to have an impact on your family and your kids and your wife, didn't it, as well? So, so that's another thing that yeah. just builds up this pressure, doesn't it? Yeah, massively. Um, thing, certainly if we go to a year and a half-ish where things were at its worst and um, Deborah, you know, my partner and the kids, um, it was having a massive effect. From Deborah's point of view, she's thinking, why is he like this towards me does he not love me anymore does he not want to be with me uh, is there somebody else you know th- those type of thoughts which i totally get now from her point of view um the kids was really difficult because it was getting to the point where the, the girls would go whisper to, to mum and ask for things because they didn't want me to hear in case i overreacted yeah um and it was one point in particular where I, I saw this and I, I went in the garage and basically cried my eyes out because I was absolutely mortified as to what I'd done to them or how yeah. I felt I'd made them feel just because I was, yeah, not a nice person to live with, if I'm honest. Yeah. And and you, again, just going back to, to what you were saying before, you started to have these thoughts that, you about ending your life and and those sort that 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 this whole thing moves into a different realm there's there's levels of depression and and that's how doctors identify if you if you're open and honest because quite often you'll have these conversations with a gp with a specialist and you'll just give them the answers you pretty much know especially with your background you'll know the right answer to give them and hold back but what was the point where you thought no no this isn't right because i'm now having these thoughts and and then what action did you take it was I've been up and down throughout this period from 2015 of varying thoughts um, yeah. where things had happened that stopped me from doing something, you know, sat in a toilet at work with a, with a Glock 17 pistol on your side, yeah. thinking I could easily sort this now. And the reason back then when that thought entered my mind is because my close colleague who, was, who I spoke about, um, he was going through his own issues with his wife with... Uh, breast cancer who was also Gosh. a police officer he was my best mate and and i thought to myself which is when i look back is is good it means that that rational part of me was still there because i thought sure. you know well listen fair because if i do this he's got to put up with the aftermath of this as well and so yeah you know you know when you look back but come forward it was things like driving um to work and thinking the hgv coming towards me if I drive at this angle, that that will sort it. It'll definitely sort it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the, the point where it got to was I dropped uh, one of the daughters off at the school bus. She turned around and said, uh, I, re- I really love you, Daddy. Um, and something along the lines of, you know, um, I like it when you smile. Something like that. I can't remember exactly, but it hit me massively because yeah. I... I it then made me realize how I would totally affect them for the rest of their lives if I did what I was considering doing. Yeah. Um, so I, I spoke to, I went to see the doctor. Um, but it's funny, Matt, because you say exactly, I do know the right things to say because I did go see the doctor. Yeah. I played it down. Um, okay. Nowhere near what it was. But to be fair to the doctor, he rang me back the next day off his own back and basically questioned me again over the phone saying, are you sure everything's okay? 
Right. Uh, because I, I had a mini sort of tear up in his office. You know, I, I was okay. holding it in like you do as a bloke. I was fighting them tears in. Um, and he basically rang me. And that's when I said, no, it's not. Um, uh, I need help. I then wrong work. It was like a release, you know. It was like the yeah. pressure had been released from me. Yeah. Uh, and I rung work and said, I need help now. If I don't get it now, I don't know what I'm going to do. And the ball started rolling from there, basically, in the right and, direction. Yeah. It is, again, and I won't go into so much detail, but I for I, I was diagnosed with PTSD as well yeah. um, after I couldn't see my son for several years. Right. Um, and I had similar thoughts, but... Once I shared those with a professional and I got the right help, it was sh- like, it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it? That sharing, oh, um, yeah. sharing um, helps and it does, it just releases that it pressure and it, and it, and it just felt like I was supported, but it, so it's, that was a clearly a massively important part um, of your recovery. Yeah. And then obviously I'd imagine, was it um, cognitive behavioral therapy? Was it drugs? And then, and then obviously the bike comes into it. At what yeah. point did the bike slot into that process of recovery? Well, it's funny how the bike slotted in because I'd always been a cyclist. I was a, a big mountain biker. Um, when I was younger, that was my main go-to. Um, I was never a road biker purely because I fought the edge to wear lycra, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I, <laughs> you know, I just thought, no, I can't do it. Uh, anyway, I, I, um, after the doctor, he did some tests, uh, blood tests, um, other tests, all relating to how I was feeling. And I came back um, borderline uh, type 2 diabetes. Right. Okay. And I'd, I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd always kept myself fit um, because I'm a role, use continually fitness tests. And, and, and so it was a massive, massive um, sort of shot across my bowels, really, because I, I felt even more hurt now that I'd let, yeah. let this happen. So at that point, I'd already got myself a road bike a few years prior to that and an indoor trainer and I absolutely um, threw myself into the road cycling uh, training. And I would say that it bordered obsessive. Um, right. It, it did. Um, that it was maybe, you know, even Deborah would say, you're going on the bike again. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, but that in turn, obviously, because it made me feel good, but I'd also got this obsessive now that I'm not going to let, this borderline become permanent and um yeah within nine months i totally reversed that and i was now nowhere you know not even on the chart for the issue of diabetes uh i'd lost two stone as a result of the training um and i started to feel good again um it, it was a borderline. It was it was one of these where it was great, but I was at a stage of my recovery obsessed with the cycling. Right. Uh, but this is, I've been told that this is, if you're going to become obsessed with something or addicted to something, I chose something good. Obviously, you yeah. can go down the path of, you know, whether that's drugs, drink, um, you know, because of what else I was dealing with, but I chose cycling. 
Yeah, it's not of all the things you could choose. We know it is one of those sports that yeah. takes takes you away from your loved ones uh, quite a lot, especially yeah. because it's an endurance sport. But let, let's be honest with you, it is. It's often, and maybe it's a little bit lazy, but I think you know, when, when you look at the chemicals, the the, 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 the physiological side of, of, of bike riding, it gets you fit, it makes you feel good. But there's this chemical dump, and these are good chemicals that make us smile. That, yes. that, that, that make us very much like sunlight. You know, it, it is something that is in, is massively important, and these are the chemicals that are dropped to keep us alive, to keep us motivated, to to procreate, to, yeah. to be creative, to live. You know, and um, and cycling and other endurance sports and other sports in general give us that. But so, because there's a drug involved, a naturally occurring drug, it is an addiction. Yeah. And it, in very, but it's a, it's as you just quite rightly said, it's. Of all the things to be addicted to, bike riding. There's a lot of worse things, isn't there? You no, know, massively. So, yeah, it could have you know, gone. You know. It could have easily gone. You know, the wrong way. But it's ex- you hit the nail on the head there, Matt. In that, I would do a ride, whether that was on the indoor trainer, whether it was a thirty session, thirty minute sort of hit session, or out on the bike for 30, 40 miles, whatever it was. But that high that it gave me afterwards was. I've never experienced it from any other sport and I've, I've played football to a, a good standard, um, you, you know, and it's it's something that you just can't get. You can't go into a chemist and buy it. It's, you know, it, it's something that you, you've got to go out and do a bit of work. But for me, the, the benefits are unbelievable. It, it is amazing how, I mean, um, I wouldn't say I'm evangelical, but when somebody asks me, should I ride a bike? And I, 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 you can't stop me. I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, mate. Talking yeah. about its benefits, yeah. you, you yeah. do want you, you do want to share it. So, so, you, so you started riding. You lost the weight, and how quickly did you notice that you were feeling better in in your mind, uh, Lee? Um, I mean, there was assistance through um, medication. Yeah, of course. Um, which you know, again, I did fight that a little bit for part of the recovery because I found that almost like I was weak for for needing it if that makes sense sure um but I, I accepted it and started taking um sertraline um which um quite a high dose to start with um that's dropped significantly now um okay. I'm still taking it and I will be for some time but my therapist wants me to stop that altogether um at some point yeah so it's reduced my cycling stayed the same um i have eased off it's a i'm doing a lot but i'm certainly not at the point where i used to stress if i missed a session yeah um sure. yeah now it's 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 purely the the love of doing it um so i would say you know probably october last year once i'd medically retired and I could focus on that I didn't have to worry what was happening with the job you know I could focus everything on on the cycling and recovering I noticed a huge uh, change quickly from yeah from the medication but big big part of it I would say for me was the feeling that cycling gave me I could go out there I could forget you have to concentrate on the bike, you know, what's going on around you, um, especially around here. There's more potholes than probably on the surface <laughs> of the moon, mate. So, you know, we, we, you have to concentrate. And so it you do, yeah. takes your mind away. And the benefit is I come home and you get this massive rush of the endorphins kicking in. And, 
the, the whole experience, I, you know, I've got friends that are now into it as a result of me saying, get yourself a road bike, we'll go out, you know. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, you know, and I've set, I've done the most sporties I've ever done this year. I did the coast to coast in the day, um, in June, I think it was, um, over Hard Knock Pass, Rhinos Pass, that sort of, um, coast to coast. And it, it was just amazing. I, I was virtually in tears finishing that from the pure hit of, I can only say the endorphins really. Yeah. Um, it was phenomenal. I can't imagine what it's like for yourselves who've experienced it at such a high level. Um, I, 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 I think we've all got our own similar experiences and um, there's a high level, but then the emotional level, whatever aspect of the sport, you know, whatever level you ride at, the, I think the emotional level remains the same. Yeah. You know, I just think the perception is that, oh, if you do the Olympics or whatever, yeah. it's better. It's, it's, it's not. You know, One of the most emotional moments for me, Lee, was actually riding the uh it was the the taiwan kom challenge long i'd retired uh, all my best racing days were before me and i'd under trained for this thing that we did for gcn climbed up to just under four thousand meters from sea level and uh, it put me through so much when i got to the end i've i've i was you know i think it might have been the altitude as well mate that played this part but i had one of those feelings that i thought i'd i'd never felt so overjoyed uh and so uh, emotional about uh, finishing a bike ride in my life, yeah, and that was it was just a sportif essentially, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't think I think everybody has their own whatever level they're, they're at, and whatever the motivation behind it. I, I don't think we should compare. No, um, I, you know, it's, it's personal, you know. And, and when somebody does their first ever fifty mile ride, for example, that's that means just as much, you know. So yeah. it is, it, it is, it's it's a one, it's, it's it's wonderful, it's wonderful to hear your story, mate. It really, really is, and. What do you? What advice? I mean, you've experienced a lot, um, and uh, through through your life, especially what the you know the the good and bad of the police yeah. as well. I don't regret my police time, but I saw some things that I wouldn't ever want to discuss with anybody, and yeah. they'll be bottled up for the rest of my life. Yeah. But you know, what uh, what advice? Looking back on your experience and the place you're in now, you clearly you've got the strength to reach out to people and, and want to tell your story to help others. So, what would your advice be to somebody? who's suffering now, Lee? I think the one thing that I would say to anyone who finds themselves in a position similar um, to what we've spoke about now would be that no matter how it feels, and I know that it can feel that you can't speak to anyone, um, you can't tell anyone about it, maybe you don't want to because they won't get it, they won't understand it, or the fact that you're ashamed to say it, but 100% once you speak to somebody, whether that's a mate and then a medical professional, whichever way you do it, I am 100% sure once you do that, things will start moving in the right direction. Um, but it's taking that step. For me, I didn't think there was any way out. There was only one way out at one point and, you know, Nobody wants to go down that route. So for me, if anybody takes anything from it, you're not on your own. You can speak to anybody, whether it's a mate, medical professional, whoever. Um, just do it. Don't don't sit there and struggle through it on your own. Yeah, and and I think that the flip side of that, I, I couldn't agree more, Lee. Um, 
but it's a hard step to take. And, and the flip side of that, I know he was a, obviously a medical, he or she was a medical professional, but the fact that your doctor recognised and called you back says a lot about our, about if we do have friends that we see those little subtle signs that they're not right, it's actually speaking to them. Quite often you might not get anywhere, but always being there for people and encouraging people to live in an environment where they can speak up freely um, about issues like this, that's going to help as well, isn't it? It's like listening to your mates, you know, oh, yeah. do you know what I mean? So oh. There's two sides to it, I guess, isn't there? There, there is, and, and first-hand my mates now have all said, oh, I thought there was something wrong. I thought that, you know, you was different. I thought, but nobody ever said anything. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it because they're scared to, they were scared to bring it up. Um, and obviously I never said anything because of the reasons we've discussed. And it, it doesn't have to be like that. What What's the worst that happens? You ask a mate, is everything all right? And I've found that when you say, is everything all right? And they say, yeah, it is. It's always nice to say, are you really sure everything's yeah. all right? Just, just ask again. And yeah. we all know our mates well enough to know when they may be throwing a cheeky lie in there somewhere. Yeah, totally, mate. Totally. Yeah. Well, Lee, thanks again in the first place for taking the time um, to get in contact with us. And then thanks again for being so generous um, with, in, explain, in telling us your story as well. And, no um, and mate, keep on riding. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and let's keep in touch. It'd be lovely one day to go on, on a bike ride oh, with you, mate. Um, oh, I'd love that, mate. Because I'm, I'm not that far away in, Dar- in Derbyshire. So you look after yourself, mate. Yeah. And uh, take care, and I'll catch up with you very soon. And thanks again. Yeah, you too, mate. Thank you very much. What a gentleman Lee really is. And if you want to hear more about Lee's story, he also appeared on episode 38 of the Cyclist Magazine podcast. Definitely worth a listen. Now, kudos to his GP as well. That follow-up phone call was a pivotal moment in Lee's recovery. And I think the most important thing that we can take from the chat is to really listen to our mates and look out for changes in mood or behaviour. And on the flip side of that, when we're feeling low ourselves, is to chat to someone you can trust or even to a professional if you need to. Now. Pete Kenyak is a familiar face to most road and track cycling fans. He was a bit of a wonder kid and even won a gold medal in the team pursuit at the London 2012 Olympic Games at the tender age of just 23. That year, he was also world champion in the same discipline. He's been national road champ at under 23 and elite level twice. But throughout his career, Pete suffered from some pretty crippling mental health issues that would eventually lead him to early retirement. So... um my guest at the end, other end of the line is indeed Pete Kenyak. Now, he's just finishing off some square crisps. Um, he's already popped to the loo. Um, I believe they're, uh, they're salt and vinegar flavour. Pete, mm-hmm. uh, how many are left? Are you nearly done, mate? Or do you, have you got to do that thing when you tip the bag into your mouth with all the dusty bits? Not quite there yet, but I'm at the point where they're not a square shape anymore. So we're getting close. But okay. I'll okay. save that for after the pod. Save that for after the pod, mate, yeah. Uh, and we were discussing, again, in the green room, um, the how easy it is, or from my experience, on placing um, square crisps in a sandwich because they're, they're just very even, like a grid system. And you, you, Pete, were elaborating on how difficult it is to get normal-shaped crisps into a sandwich, weren't you? Well, precisely that. It's Because my go-to is um, the classic Walker's prawn cocktail. Yeah. Loads of butter, squish it firmly down with your hand. It's all about the squash. 
um, in my opinion, when creating a crisp sandwich. Um, that's key. And then, but yeah, you always get, it's a bit messy, you get the crumbs around the side. Yeah. So, and yeah, what you alluded to there with the squares, never even crossed my mind. Well, so I, I, I try if, that. If, if I were you, um, following this pod, if you've got time, pop down to the local supermarket, get a slice <laughs> of white, a, a, white, a white slice loaf, some butter, uh, and a, and a, and a multi pack of Smith's Square Crisps, <laughs> <laughs> Walker Square Crisps, there, and, and give it a whirl, mate, and then feedback. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not a very nutritional diet, but it's a cheap one. It is a cheap one. It's uh, I'd call it like a, almost like a student diet. My, my son yeah. uh, Josh, uh, all he eats, and I'm quite worried he might get scurvy <laughs> is beige food and that's one of his go-tos i think um, anyway yeah. mate anyway Pete, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this special edition of the podcast um where we're going to be focusing on on mental health it's mental health day um yeah. you'll be listening to this around that particular time um first and foremost though pete um let's start with the present day how are you mate you sound quite you sound pretty chipper how's things i'm really good thanks matt um a really busy weekend with the family. When, do you know one of those weekends where you just go out at, well, we went out at 8.30 in the morning, took Axel to athletics. Um, my youngest son's just, uh, yeah, started riding his bike about stabilizers the day before. So he's just Brilliant. loving it. And we just had one of those days where you leave the house at half eight and don't come back until five. And you just absolutely wrecked as a parent, aren't you? Yeah. So <laughs> it was a great weekend, uh, just doing really normal stuff. And uh, roast dinner at my mum's with all the family on Sunday. And then this morning, I got myself, and I've been waking up really early, randomly, at like five oh, o'clock yeah. every day for the last week. Right. And I don't know why, but I'm just rolling with it and getting up. So this morning, got up five, just like mulled around the house for a bit, went out for a steady run, because I did 15K yesterday. So I did 5K this morning, legs and okay. glutes were a bit tight. And then I've been painting for the last two and a half hours. So I think that's why I'm probably feeling quite relaxed because it's quite therapeutic, to be honest. So you're, you're painting the, the walls of the house or you're actually painting? Yeah. Pa- oh, no, not like painting. So decorating. So decorating. <laughs> Decora- right, yeah, <laughs> decorating. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm just um, decorating my bar in the house. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why, but... I think it, we've been in the house seven years and the last couple of weeks, me and Lauren have just started like, yeah, doing DIY stuff, you know? I don't know if it's boredom or because I'm actually home for the first time in, well, eight months since the start of the season, cycling season, really, that we've just been like, right, let's just start, you know, doing up the house on our own. And it's been quite enjoyable. So it's, it's, a, it's a good way to spend time with each other, actually. And, and it is quite, I've, um, I, I do quite like, painting but it's something i will put off but once you're into it once you've got all the stuff set up and you're ready to roll it's actually really good fun but it's just that transition from not painting to painting yeah that's it, quite a messy bit that's like a bit of a faff isn't it it's it's all the well the faffing is the annoying <laughs> bit the, the yeah. cutting in the the, the take everything it's just oh yeah it's because it's a good idea when it, when you start out and then you get half a through and you're like jesus how long is this going to take but on the topic of painting that Mm. I did not know you and Mark Cavendish had a special bond over art. We, we, we yeah, we, we we do. It's been, been quite a recent thing. Just the last sort of I don't know, six months, a year or so, or something. Maybe maybe less than yeah. that. Yeah, but um, yes, yeah, so we went to the gallery um, the, the other day. The 
Damien Hurst one. And um, for the first time, we'd not actually met up and done it. Obviously, met up a lot, but um, <laughs> this is the first time we we did an art day or, or afternoon. And it was great, yeah. mate. It's really, it's nice. I mean, we flipping love bike riding and cycling and stuff, but um, we're all... We've all got more to, more to ourselves than that, haven't we? I think so. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was yeah, good. Was. It for was sure. Good. Yeah, he was trying to sell it to me on the bike. Not his art or the art he's bought, but the idea of getting into it. It's and... all right. I think you'd like. I think you'd like. Maybe that's a separate conversation, mate. Another separate okay. conversation. Yeah, yeah true. Um, maybe with it, him. It, 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 indeed, mate. Indeed. But but Pete, you clearly sound like you're in a, in a very good place. And, and let's 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 cards on the table. Back in um, 2018, when you were with Bora after. Eight years, eight years it was with Sky, wasn't it? Eight, yeah, eight Since years with Sky. Started, yeah. yeah, you you weren't in a good place. Um, so can you can you just explain that there is a lot online? Um, and actually, I'm going to mention it right now. I, I just watched well, this morning. I watched that Wahoo Frontiers video, mate, that you did, oh, yeah. and really, really liked it. Really, again, it's enjoyable. I don't know. It was enjoyable, but it was in, insightful and mm. it was important. Um, so. If anybody is tuning into this and hasn't seen that, I'm going to send you straight over to YouTube. Type in Wahoo Frontiers. Um, I think the subheading is the book that was never finished. Yeah. And watch that little video. 15 minutes of your time well spent, I think, Pete. But just talk to us about the, the point in your pro career then around that time with Bora that you noticed things weren't right. Um, and you, obviously you changed. Just describe what was happening to you. And when you first actually thought, whoa, this, this isn't right. Well, to be honest, I think you need to rewind back years before that. Okay. Uh, to probably 2014. Okay. Um, it was back then when mental health wasn't really talked about and I didn't really understand what was going on in my life or, you know, during the season when I had, well, when I was struggling, basically. I just didn't, I didn't have a clue what, what was going on or why... I didn't want to ride my bike or didn't want to leave the house, didn't want to travel. Um, and I just had these really dark sort of depressive moments, I guess. Right. Um, which started back then, you know, I'd be on the massage table and when I lived in Nice and I'd be speaking to my wife and I'd be like, I just don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to be a cyclist anymore. And she'd be like, you know, just get to the end of the season. Just if you're still saying this, this time next year, this is, this is the type of conversation that I was having already yeah. then. Um, you know, then maybe, you know, think about it more serious, but you can't be too irrational with with what you're thinking, um, which is quite funny because that's exactly how you think when you're in that state of mind, you know. Um, quite It's quite difficult to make rational decisions un- and logical um, choices or decisions um, when you're in that frame of mind. So it, start, it started then, basically, and it's really... It's really hard to get my head around. I'm still trying to understand it, but and I don't know why, but it was it was very seasonal. So it would be from February until late spring. So I'd oh, okay. always have this and you know, it was so hard to explain to a team why I couldn't race or why I couldn't ride. Um but I just had no power in my legs, like zero power. Uh, and it, they hurt so much to pedal that it got to a point where the thought, and especially as a, as a cyclist and as a professional cyclist, when you can't do your job and your whole identity is um, your training ride that day, it basically got to a point where I didn't want to go out on my bike because I didn't want to feel that sensation of 
you know, I would be, I'd go out and get dropped on a local club run. Not dropped. Right. I wasn't bre- out of breath. I just had no power. It was it, my legs were really sore, and um, it would it was kind of subside, um, you know, coming into May, and then I would you know sort of reset myself, train really hard, and it was, it was black and white, Matt. It was one day I would be like, "What the heck am I going to do, Lauren? Um, this is you know in April. What 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 are we going to do?" Um, I'd be you know, I'd go on my bike, I'd ride down to the beach and I'd just sit there for two hours looking out at sea thinking, what am I going to do? Like, if I don't earn money, how how yeah. are me and my family going to live? And then I wouldn't ride my bike for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and then I'd be like, I'd wake up one morning and go, I'm going to go and ride my bike today, Lauren, and just see. And then I can remember quite a couple of times, actually, just I'd be, I'd set off and I'd, I'd just message her and I'd say, I can't believe it. Like I've done, this would be like three and a half hours into the ride. So without riding my bike for two weeks, I would go out one day and I'd just do four and a half hours and I'd be like, I'm back. I feel, I feel, I feel normal again. I feel fine. And it was like, it was pure relation on that ride. I remember one time, like literally being in tears thinking, because it literally went from weeks and weeks of not being able for, for unknown reasons to me, not being able to, have that sensation mat that you have you know when you go up a climb and you can just press on the pedals and race over the top and then yeah. you, you know it's a, it's, um, it's a beautiful feeling isn't it you know yeah. when, when you're when you've when you're in that sort of condition it's it's a wonderful feeling so when that came back and i wasn't obviously that fit i mean what you do for the winter and months before carries you a long way anyway so three yeah. weeks off the bike isn't exactly going to do the it's not going to kill your season but it, no. at the same time it's not ideal but when when it clicked again and for yeah god knows why it was just like wow it's it's over and then with that every season i'd have a conversation because it's like i said it started in 2014 so from 2014 to 2019 when i eventually retired that's a build-up of seasons so you know already in 2016 i've it's happened three times i'm thinking two times sorry and for the third time i'm thinking this can't happen again. What can I do differently yeah. to, to, you know, solve this problem? Cause I honestly thought it was uh, like, it, I don't, uh, yeah, I basically couldn't work out what the problem is. So, you know, I tried going to Australia prepared really well. Cause I thought maybe I'm not being serious enough in the winter, you know, maybe I'm relaxing too much. And it's the fact that I'm going to races like unprepared and I'm playing catch up. Um, and I thought it was down to my training. So, you know, I did everything, everything right. I can't remember what year it was. Won the Cadell Evans road race in yep. January. Had a good tour down under. Came back, rode Charlotte Bianca, did all right. And then it just happened again. And I was like, oh, what? I just, yeah, I was just really lost, to be honest. But with that, going back to what I was saying before, I'd come out of it. I'd actually managed to get some results, find my love again for cycling, enjoy training. The passion would be there. And then you'd, you'd you'd be you know you'd have the off season and you'd you'd get chance to relax again you think oh actually yeah i'll be all right next year you know it can't happen again it just basically happened every year until i retired when it got to a boiling point where yeah i was just i can't i can't put myself through this i can't put my family through this and i need to i need to just step back and figure everything out because it it's it was it wasn't fair on me and it wasn't fair on anyone and you know with the cycling season and 
how it is now that you have no time to reflect on on anything really because yeah. by the time you finish the season in I don't know China or Lombardia you've got maybe four weeks um, before you you go on your your first training camp or you resume training again and when you've had a you know really tough season the last thing you're going to do is like go and really you know deeply reflect on yourself you're just happy to to finish the season and spend some time at home with your family or go on holiday or whatever and then it just it snowballed basically yeah so to year on year from from 2014 I mean after the first year you wouldn't have known it's going to come back year two but then after three and four and five mm-hmm. you'll I would imagine were you were you anxious about it happening or did you just did you try and put it to the back of your mind but knew it would happen again because it sounds like you almost had to gear your life and your your yourself around it knowing it was going to come um, although you tried to change it was almost there must have been a an inbuilt fear that at that time was coming around again almost yeah to the point where I felt like it was a subconscious like I was almost doing it to myself subconsciously if that makes right, sense because right, okay because I didn't have any answers um you know physically or through blood tests to show illness or or whatever I was at the point where I was like well is it just in my head now that I can't that this is going to happen anyway yeah but it, you know it was never like set in stone when it happened it just progressively got worse to the point where I was like yeah I'm I'm not riding my bike I mean one year in when we did the Ardennes classics I did flesh and did about 130k didn't feel too bad mm. uh, but did a job for the team and then got on the bus and then we went and reconned Lombard uh, not Lombardia sorry getting my words mixed up we went and reconned uh, Liège yeah and on the recon uh, on one of the first bergs, I had to get in the team car because I couldn't, I couldn't pedal basically. Like I had no, like a, like I was mentioning before, I had no power. Oh. I was like, I need to get in the team car. And then we, Dave Brailsford was on the race, and you know, I was like, I just don't know what's up with me. And we got a flight home. I got blood tests for everything. You know, fi- my brother's got a thyroid problem, and there's some, you know, a few of my relatives have thyroid issues so I was like I was trying to convince myself that maybe it was that and on the flight home I was hoping it was that so I had an answer yeah um but yeah that's how that's how bad it was that's thing I've, I've, I've obviously done a fair bit of digging and I know you a bit mate and knew knew you'd had problems I didn't know it was it was um that it manifested itself like like that yeah and that, I mean and that is quite that's quite profound I mean and and as you said one of the worst things about any condition psychological physiological is when you can't identify the underlying cause um the reason for it and so the most natural thing to do is is question your, yourself uh, yeah. and then that bit and then it, it's then it's a it's an awful rabbit warren isn't it of um of, of unanswered questions that just gets worse and worse and worse yeah and especially when you're doing a job that's it's such a stressful environment anyway yeah, the amount of sure. pressure you put on yourself and on your body there's no there's no wiggle room to allow yourself a couple of days here a couple of days there because uh, they all add up um but what's really interesting since i've stopped is uh it still happens but i right. can deal with it because i've got no one sending me to go and race catalonia where contador and chris Froome are ripping up you know yeah. what i mean yeah sure so it's like um and it's really weird like i don't it, without the pressure of training every day, you know, I can do normal tasks. I just feel like a little bit down. And then it's it's really funny because you don't know when it's going to lift and when it does, 
um, yeah, start exercising again. Like even when I look at pictures of myself, even this year, um, during that period of the year, you know, I've got a puffy face, my diet's awful. Um, I don't train. And then, yeah, come the end of spring, I'm, I'm, I wake up and I like I jump out of bed as opposed to be feeling like, oh, what have I got to do today? Sure. And I just feel like way more productive. Uh, so yeah, it still happens, but I can control, I don't know, my environment, I guess, because I'm, I, I can, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to do that where as a professional cyclist, you don't have a choice. You have to train, you have to go to bike races, you have to perform, especially when you're on a big team on a decent salary, yeah. you can't just turn up to a race and, and not finish and then turn up to the next race and not finish again because then, you know, questions are asked and then, you know, two year contracts. So it's, yeah, it was, it was really stressful. And obviously I think the, obviously the job I had, you know, built it up more than maybe it was. And, you know, it got to a point where it was, yeah, it was almost out of control for me. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I've spent years trying to figure out why it got so bad. And the only answer I can come up with is because, I wish like if you're talking about that Wahoo video, I lived for cycling. I was so passionate. I, it, it was like, I loved it so much. Um, I never once felt like I was making sacrifices for it because it was everything I wanted to do. Yeah. And I it was just all, to, all I wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, sorry to cut across a bit. I think it's really important because people might be, they'll, they'll be listening to this, may not yeah. have seen that video. Just to add a tiny little bit of context to that. Some of the, well, the thing that hit me in the feels, mate, and and has made me like, immediately understand a little bit more about how you tick and how how important cycling was to you, is to you, um, especially at that time, was your scrapbooks as a kid. Yeah, and that, that that especially that book that was like your road to the Olympics in 2012, and you saw your handwriting change as you got older, and then oh, the pictures yeah. you cut out. Just just that determination and ultimately you know you went back to the Isle of Man as an Olympic champion in 2012 and that is absolutely incredible and everything around it all your heroes people you looked up to at the time that just encapsulates for me or has encapsulated for me quite clearly how driven how focused and how in love you were with the sport and that's just undoubted but you again watch it because it really does set set this in a really nice context yeah yeah it's when I look back it is yeah, I feel like a different person, but yeah, it was just, I was so driven and so determined to be in a professional cyclist because I loved it so much. Yeah. And with that, it was like, I think that's why I struggled so much within those years because I dedicated my life to, to this sport and sport that I loved and I was passionate about and which had given me so much back. I couldn't comprehend what, what changed or, do you know do you know what I mean yes, if that makes yeah. sense so yeah. it was like I couldn't just stop because I was like I'm not I'm not supposed to stop it's this is what I've always wanted like why would I ever why would I ever stop so it's um so you, yeah, I think that's got, what made yeah. it so 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 totally. hard at the time to really comprehend my thoughts and feelings towards cycling um but you know after I've obviously had it's been I think what is it like four years now um and take, it's, yeah, yeah. So you've had like I've had a lot of time to reflect, and even one thing I've noticed with that book that I did, where um, I was on the trajectory, I guess, to becoming a professional, is and I, and I've thought about it since working for Trinity Racing, being a director sportif, and also being on Sky in the first five years. Mm. 
and then I, 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 I sort of thought about that and then looked back at what I did in order to turn pro. And when I look at football teams, the big cycling teams, I realized how important everything I was doing when I was 15, 16, all the way up to 21, how important that was and how yeah. I'd neglected that. And when you right. look at Team Sky, what they put into Chris Froome, Bradley Wiggins winning the Tour de France, one thing I thought about was how do you not become complacent? You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you've achieved that. And I think that's where, where teams or people get found out within their career, isn't it? Because then, you know, look at Jumbo Visma now. They've sort of taken over the Team Sky mantle, I would say. Yeah, they, I think that's fair to say, yeah. And it's it's probably those couple of years where towards the end of Froome's reign at the Tour, where they were doing exactly what Team Sky were doing back in 2013, 2012, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then and then that's how it that's how it evolves, I guess. But yeah, I mean I think yeah, it's just one thing I took from it was you can't you can't you can't become complacent. Um and I realised once I stopped, which I'd forgotten, um, how much effort I put in to to get where I was basically. Yeah. I think it's it's um it's something I ask um I've asked quite a few riders in particular who are very successful. Um yeah. that they don't have any time to reflect on the, on the, on what they've actually achieved. They just move on to the next target and it's it's almost it's like a conveyor belt of elite performance goals rather than why you fell in love with the sport in the first place and you and you yeah. clearly fell in love at a very young age you you know emphatically in love with the sport because of the joy it gave you. Yeah. Um but then I think once you do achieve being Olympic champion, which is a, a, a riding the tour double champ, you know, the, the, your performances over the years put you in that elite bracket. Um, and once you're in that elite bracket, as you said, you get paid well, um, but the expectancies are very high. And, and, and let's be honest, there doesn't appear to be any room for any psychological um, failings. And, we, and, and when I say failings, that's an unfair word because it's, it's part of being a human being. None of us are mm. perfect. Things happen and to our bodies, to our minds, especially uh, that I don't think we can we can explain. We can try and unpick what's going on using using help with professional help, friends of relatives, you know, relatives, yeah. people that that you love. But ultimately, the human condition means we are imperfect, and and I think within elite sport, there's little room depending on the team that you go to. I think, or not, and I think, thankfully, we're having this conversation, mate. But um, if you aren't quite right, there doesn't seem to any scope really um, for yeah. looking after you, or you're afraid to speak up about it in the first instance. Yeah, I think a lot of that's correct. But with it, I am on the fence of it because right. because because it is elite sport. At the end of the day, and yeah, you if, got, I, I think I think I know what point you're coming to, mate. And you are right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you can't deliver your job because of a broken collarbone, or if you're having, you know, problems with your with your mind, basically, it's 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 no different in in a way, or it, it's mm. it's exactly the same. So it should be treated the same, yeah. which I totally agree with. But at the end of the day, if they continue, or if you have a knee problem, which doesn't doesn't get better or you, you know you continue to have these problems where you can't train properly and can't ride it's exactly the same um psychologically it's you know you, you it, that's unfortunately it's elite sport and if you can't do what you're paid to to do then there's always someone knocking at the door you know ready to take your place so that's, yeah it's yeah. It, that's that's just the way it is isn't it unfortunately yeah. but, um, I, I i think that's a really really honest point 
especially mm. you know you've you've been on the on, on the back foot with it but it's pure i know you get to the point i mean it's it's darwinian it, it is elitist level it is survival of the fittest isn't it in elite sport there's only one gold medal yeah. or four in the in the in the team pursuit of course there's only there's only one place for, for the best in the world um that's that's that, it isn't it? And, and that but that's brutal but i think within that especially going back now to your to your place as a ds in um in trinity one of the best feeder teams in the world yeah you, know, you 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 are nurturing fostering the talent of the future and there they, they need i would say there needs to be scope for it you've still got to make people um i mean toughen up i mean there's is that a right word to use these days people have got to be tough you've got to be mentally and physically um you know prepared for what the sport demands but but I think you can learn through that, and I think there should be room for them at least for people to at least speak, and I think that might help people. Um, as in the future, it's a difficult one, isn't it? There's, there's the elite top bit, which you know is un- brutally unforgiving. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, on the low, totally right. as you're getting there, there needs to be you need to give these kids because they are kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell if if you're not right, tell us. We can talk about it. It's that rather than fostering this uh, attitude where you just keep it suppressed. Because I yeah. think you could just lose potential champions by that. Yeah, absolutely. And at that age, they they really are like sponges. Yeah. Um, and you don't even realise as an adult like the impact of what you say or how you act. Um, you know, can can change the course of their next couple of years. You know, when I think back to the academy, I had Rod Allingworth, um, who everyone knows about within British cycling, who basically founded the under twenty three. Um, British Cycling Academy, didn't he? You know, Mark Cavendish and Geraint Thomas, Ian Stannard, Ben Swift. He really was the, the I mean, he, he did it all. He moved out to Italy. He he committed and completely sacrificed his life for a few years, basically, yeah. to help us young lads, um, you know, achieve our goals, which is incredible. And on the flip side of that, I had Max Yandri as my second year under 23. Yeah. Um, and it, it's quite funny because, and it goes back to this sponge as you, at that age. Um, when I think back, like I remember so much because you just soak everything in. Yeah. And um, even stuff like, you know, Rod, and I'm a big fan of Rod, but stuff like he used to say about um, like a diet plate, you know, when we were on like a smaller plate so you could fit less food on it, for example. Yeah. Um, and it, times have changed, but that's just something I would never say to another 23 rider now because... Yeah you've got too many years ahead of you to think about diets or, you know, habits that you might pick up now. It's, you need longevity. And it's yeah. one thing that I really notice with riders between the ages of, of 18 and, and 22. I really try and create a relaxed, a relaxed environment for them where they are serious on race day and within training, but everything else around that is fun. And I want them to be able to, I want to be able to create that so they feel comfortable coming to me with with any problems, uh, no yeah. matter what what it may be. But um, yeah, with the you know the picking up on certain habits, you know, I've I've spoke to a few of the riders and I said, guys, you've got you've got potentially another twenty years of this ahead of you. You know, yeah, if you're at yeah. you know your shelf life, and if you look at what you're doing now, can you maintain that for another twenty years? Do you know what I mean? Um, so you've really got to, and I, and I also say from like my years as an under 23, for me, they're like the, the university years. Yeah. They're supposed to, you've got to be serious cause you've got to, you know, you have to be at this level now in order to perform. Yeah. But you'll look back on these years and they'll be the best years of your life. So yeah. you, you know, you don't want to ruin that. 
It's, it, I, was, I was looking at an article that, and he, there's a quote that you gave, I think, or or your words are paraphrased actually. But it was, you know, the, the the younger riders coming through now have only known this way, and and there are there are a lot of young riders coming through. It's just like Pogacar, for example, a Remco, who are obviously incredible physical specimens, but they do seem to be having a lot of fun as well, don't they? And but maybe. <laughs> there's so, so there's that but i mean although that could be a facade you know but there there is keeping that joy i think is something that i, I repeatedly come back to in conversations not just with mental health but just with the um with the current landscape of of of, of elite sport you need to yeah. make sure that these that these youngsters are uh, are having fun at the same time because there's a lot of there's a big side of this sport where it isn't i mean when you're when you're riding at the top level, trying to inc- increase your watts per kilo, lose weight, all those, all mm-hmm. those things that you need to perform, it's hard. So you do need that contrast, and ultimately the two together will form hopefully the ideal balance. Um, that it's the, it's that it's that recipe that's a, it's a hard one to get right, isn't it? Exactly, and there, there will come a point in your career where the sport has to be, you know, completely life-consuming to be at the top. Yeah. And at, at under 23 level, that's just, that's not, that's not the point, you know, yeah. yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen eventually because guys like Remco and today, Bogacci, yeah, they're very relaxed and they seem like they're having fun, but they will be completely dedicated to the bike 24 seven for, yeah. you know, 98% of the year. Yeah. Um, and I think as another 23 rider, do what you got to do, be serious when you have to be serious, but you need to just keep that, that element of fun. And yeah, just, just, you've got to enjoy it at that point. Cause if you're not enjoying it then, then you never will basically, yeah. but it's, it's, and it's very individual, you know, going back to myself, even some guys really just live for it and actually really enjoy being really serious and yeah, doing everything for the bike and, you know, you're measuring every training ride where others don't. And, for the guys that don't, it doesn't mean like you have to be like the other person in order to make it. You have to find your own path yeah. and what works for you. And like I say, say with these, the, the the Remco and um, they just they just talked about it. It's, you, you never know what's going on behind closed doors either. I mean, even look yeah. at the the Maffy Vanderpol situation at the Worlds. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that was quite bizarre, really, because. You know, f- for that incident to happen, you don't know what you know what's built up to that point where he's either we don't know exactly what happened, but where it's built up to that point where he's he's that angry or that stressed. Um, but it just goes to show, doesn't it? There's they're dealing with a lot of pressure all the time, and some guys can deal with that, you know, and breeze through it, and and others can't, or some guys are just really good at hiding it and can compartmentalize it. Yeah. And crack on, and, and others can't. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, everyone's everyone's different, basically. So, I mean, I mean, Pete, people are going to be listening to this, this podcast. Hope, hopefully, you know, intrigued and, and interested in what you've said because I, I certainly have been riveted, and the time has really sped on. We we could talk about this for hours without a shadow of a doubt. But what I mean, you're dispensing um, advice now, and clearly, uh, I know from uh, from speaking to other people, you're having a lot of fun at Trinity. You know, it's, it's a new, a relatively new experience to you being in the team car, being at races, um, and clearly, you've got a love to give. Uh, you've got a lot to give in terms of experiences. Now, but what what advice would you give to somebody, a youngster, perhaps listening to this podcast who is under a bit of pressure? What, what advice would you would you give given given your experiences and and, and what you're doing now? That's a really good question, actually. <laughs> um, and it, it, so, 
I mean, in regards to mental health, where I find the the basic advice is to to talk and be open, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I find I still find that really difficult, and okay. it's even more difficult when you're going through that, you know, because like I said, you're not thinking logically. So the logical thing to do would be to open up and to talk to someone close, like you mentioned at the start of the podcast or go and see a professional, but you're not thinking logically at all, you know? Um, So for me, it's really difficult because it's not like I've found this, this recipe that, that works. I've just, the, the, the biggest, the biggest thing that I've learned is to, if I'm speaking honestly, is to just be myself. So, and with that, I do find it easier to open up. I think a lot of my career, I was always trying to act or, or, you know, be like I wanted to perceive to to be, if that makes sense. So, you know, whether I was with Dave Brailsford or Rod Allenworth or uh, Garrett Thomas or Chris Room, I'd almost act as if I wanted them to, you know, it almost impressed them or how yeah. I should be around these type of people. And since, and I think the biggest change is obviously not being in that environment. And when, when I did stop cycling, I really was able to find myself again. Yeah. And since then I've, I'm so much more comfortable in my own skin Yeah. that if I have a problem, I don't, it's not like I'm like less, I'm not, it's not like I'm shameless, but I, I don't really, I don't really care anymore. It's yeah. like, I feel, I feel comfortable enough to, to just to talk to my wife or where I always used to keep it back. I always used to try and put on a brave face and you know, it's all, it's all okay. It's all going to be fine. Um, and act in a way that I wasn't necessarily feeling. Um, but the path that you need to take to get to that place, I don't really know. I don't really know what it is in terms of, you know, talking about a broad spectrum of people. Yeah, of course. I think it's a different different journey for everyone. And then I think also age helps as well, to be honest. Oh, totally. I mean, if you don't mind me saying, I mean, we back into my career and the very, very start of your career, we did actually race and, and you were, as well as a, being a bloody good bike rider, you, you were a, you were a, com- a confident little fellow, weren't you? You, you, yeah. were, you had a cockiness, so that's fair to say, isn't it? You know, you were very, very, very confident and you've, you've changed enormously. I mean, that, 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 as you just said, you just pointed out that happens as you get older. But I think one of the, and I have mentioned this before, but one of the best pieces of advice I got in life, and I've had issues in the past, but nothing like yours. I'm, I'm, but I, um, one of the best piece of advice I had is the day I joined the police, the day I went on duty in the police for the first time on night duty, and my, you're, you're with a tutor, and um, he took me to one side and he said, Matt, he said this, this job's like no other. Um, you've been at police school for a while, and he said, uh, and you will see some stuff that's going to change you forever. But he said, in these difficult, stressful situations, don't try and be somebody that you're not because it would just fall apart. He said, just be yourself. That's the best bit of advice that, that um, I've ever had, I think, in my life. Just be, yeah. I was, I was, mate, I was 31, you know, at the time. <laughs> but, it, but I'd never really thought about that because I'd been a bike rider most of my life, you know. And, um, but it, it, it really, it's sim- I think you can use that across a lot of different things, but just be yourself and talk to people. And in being yourself, because there's no pretense, you can open up a lot easier. I think that's a, again maybe a slight oversimplification, but I think uh, yeah, that was the best piece of advice I've, I've ever been given. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated, though, does no, it? And I no. think uh, you almost summed up what I was basically getting out of there. Um, 
and, and and with that, when you're not being yourself or you're acting up to how you how you think you should perceive to be, it's it's tiring. And with that, it's also stressful. Totally. And as soon as you are you are comfortable in your own skin and you can be yourself, then it's it's almost like a weight's lifted off your shoulder. Yeah. Shoulders. Yeah. Well, Pete, that's actually that's a lovely way to actually wrap up this conversation. We will be speaking again in the future, mate. We're going to get you on to the pod to have a broader chat about your career what you're up to we'll probably touch on this subject again maybe it's been an absolute pleasure but you're also involved in another project aren't you with uh with black jersey uh who've done the man ride um in the black past. sheep no. black black to black, black do you know what don't edit that out black jersey is, is, is my company <laughs> <laughs> so sorry sorry black sheep if you're listening you make great cycling kit and you've also got a wonderful project that you've been, that's been going on for a, a few years the man ride and i know you're going to be involved in that going forward and uh, and for any details i think the best thing to do is for people to head online uh, to the Black Sheep website and there's a little bit more information on there. Pete, thanks very much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Cheers. Cheers. A huge thanks to Pete for sharing his story with us and I'm glad he's in a better place to manage his own mental health now. Black Sheep Cycling's Man Ride Initiative is a really cool one too. In fact, there'll be a group ride heading out from Sigma Sports Store in Oakham on November the 19th. More details on that will appear at sigmasports.com forward slash rides in due course. Also, check out the beautiful Black Sheep Cycling Man Ride Kit, which you can buy from sigmasports.com too. I'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode and the random question generator behaved, which was probably for the best. I didn't want that going off in the middle of an important conversation. And as mentioned before, please do seek help if you're struggling. No matter how difficult that might seem, it'll definitely be worth it. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, please do. Our email address is podcast at sigmasports.com. Or you can even leave a message or a voice note on our WhatsApp burner phone. The number is plus four four. 777-832-3268. Now we have received this lovely email from Simon Wilson, which I'll read to you now. Um, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed Matt's conversation with Rob Hatch, who I must say was absolutely brilliant. I do agree. I was, however, horrified to hear about the amount of abuse he receives for airing his linguistic talents whilst commentating for Eurosport Discovery GCN+. Now, I'm not sure if you can get this message to Rob, but please reassure him that the vast majority of cycling fans, myself included, think he does an absolutely fantastic job, and for him to please keep doing what he is doing. Keep up the great work. Well, Simon, if you're listening to this, and hopefully you are, thank you very much indeed for getting in contact. Um, As you know, Rob has taken himself off off Twitter in particular. Um, but what I did following the fantastic reception that we got to the Rob Hatch podcast, I just kept sending him little WhatsApp photos of screen grabs uh, with all the hearts and all the wonderful uh, sentiment that came out of it. So firstly, thanks everybody for listening to that podcast and to all of you who got in contact. Um, Rob was actually quite moved by it, to be perfectly honest with this. So, and I'm going to send in this one as well. So thanks, Simon, for getting in contact. And as I said, we do like, we love it when you get, I, I love it when you get in contact about anything, basically. Um, to be honest with you, it's almost the favourite part of the pod now. Right. Thanks again to Lee and Pete for joining us on the podcast today. And we do wish them both great health and happiness in the future, both on and off the bike. Right then, folks, time for me to go. Cheers all. Stay safe and goodbye.